Welcome everyone. Um, today we have a new cross mining cafe, and we were we are going to talk about customer journey analysis. Now, customer journeys are very interesting area for process mining it's a it's a use case that has become more um yeah more prominent i would say more popular over the past three four years more and more organizations have started to analyze their customer journeys with the use of process mining and um yeah there there are a few challenges but also a lot of opportunities around this specific um use case so to discuss all about customer journeys uh, with process mining in today's process mining cafe uh, we We have uh, invited um, Daisy Wayne. Uh, Daisy is a senior performance analyst at the government digital service in the UK. And some of you might have read her case studies. So she recently published a case study about um, their customer journey analysis with process mining. Um, there was also uh, published on the blog. And so she will tell us more about the, the project. Hello, Daisy. Afternoon, everyone. <laughs> And we also asked uh, Rudy to join us because uh, Rudy is not just a um, process mining expert, um, but also specifically experienced with customer journey analysis. And um, yeah, he will walk us through some of the particular challenges that um, that occur uh, specifically with customer journey mining um, in today's session. Hi, Rudy. Hi, hi everyone. <laughs> And uh, yeah, welcome all of you watching right now. As in every Prosmining Cafe, uh, you have the chance to ask uh, questions or make any um, yeah make any observations or let us know what you think through the chat right below um, the video. So you can just uh, type in your name there. Uh, and then you're you're in the chat and you can ask questions. And what we will do throughout the session is that we will check um, periodically and then uh, we'll pick up those questions and discuss them with, with the three of us. All right, so let's get started. Um, now, to begin with, it's, it's, it's really yeah, great to have this particular uh, experience of, of, uh, of yourself, Daisy, to get this session started. So you also prepared even a few slides to take us through the journey that, um, yeah, the analysis that you have made. And um, so, yeah, you, if you want, you can, you can start now taking us through the slides and I'll, I'll um, advance them for you. Sounds great. All right, so good afternoon, everyone. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. So my name is Daisy Wayne, and as Anne said, I'm a senior performance analyst working at the UK Government Digital Service on the Gov.UK Startup Business Team, uh, which is a team that's been set up to look at the rather nutty problem of how we could make it easier to start and sustain a business in the UK. I'm going to give a brief overview of GDS and Gov.UK before getting into the work I've been doing over the last few months related to pattern and process mining user journeys. So I should say that we in GDS use user journeys, but it's the same thing as customer journeys. So GDS or the Government Digital Service sits at the center of government and is part of the cabinet office. It leads uh, the government's digital function, helping departments build and support services that are digital by default with a focus around user needs. By harnessing the power of technology and by doing things dig digitally, the government has produced services that are simpler, clearer and faster for users and significantly cheaper to run. So this is what GDS does, uh, leading the government the, the digital transformation of public services, helping government work better for everyone. So that means citizens, departments and civil servants. So in terms of what Project UK is, 
this is Gov.uk. Hopefully some of you may have seen it before, but this is what it looks like. And basically it's the single website for government. It's the online home of all the UK government's content, no matter whether that content is published by the Home Office, the Ministry of Justice or Highways England. And it is the home of, um, which means that Gov.uk is the start of most government-based journeys. So we can just pop on a few more slides. Next one, please, Anne. Perfect. Um, so Gov.uk serves a dual role. We help people understand government by making content simple and user journeys intuitive. Uh, we move the need for people to know how government works. We help users to self-serve, which of course help government avoid uh, costly contact and casework. And we also help government understand people. So Gov.uk serves millions of users every day. This gives us and departments incredibly valuable insights on what people need to do and how we can better serve their needs. So the project I've been working on is all about how we can better use journey data on Gov.uk, specifically how it can be used to map end-to-end -end user journeys, to analyse those journeys and identify pain points and areas of improvement. In terms of why this project has come about, it started with a need to look at the whole problem spaces, including all content and services across departments. So at the moment, we work in silos, which has been pretty typical up until now. It's widely understood that nearly every journey on Gov.uk is unique, and with millions of users a day, that's a lot of data to analyse. Uh, traditionally, the work of an analyst like myself in GDS is driven by the analytical programme Google Analytics or GA, and I'm now going to cover why additional software has been required to support this project. So if we could just go back one slide. Thank you. Uh, GA gives us a lot of function in terms of data about our users. So that includes what device they use and their location. And it tells us about their sessions as well, which is just another word for visits. So what pages they visit or what elements they click on. However, the interface is limited in being able to look at basically a two-step journey. So what page they're on now and what page they came from. The GA interface uses data from Google BigQuery which is a cloud data warehouse. And if we access this warehouse directly, i.e. we don't go through GA, we can access entire end-to-end -end user journeys. So the aim of this project was to see if there was any software or programs available that can visualize these whole journeys and how we may be able to use them to analyze journeys further to gain a deeper understanding, specifically looking for patterns of behavior. And this is where Fluxicon and Disco has come in. So one of the key questions the start a business team had was how are users using the business step-by-steps? So step-by-steps on Gov.uk show the logical steps that you need to do to complete a process. So an idealized journey would be a linear one covering all the steps that, you, that like the one you can see here uh, for setting up a limited company. So these steps include checking to if a limited company is right for you, choosing a name, choosing a director, and finally, step seven, which is registering your business with Companies House. So using Disco and process mining, I could very quickly see that users were not doing that idealized linear journey, as you can see in this picture. The software allowed me to focus on the most, most popular journeys into, through, and beyond the content as well as seeing specific events like users clicking a button or downloading a piece of information that happen within those journeys. 
Disco and process mining enabled us to answer much more detailed questions, such as looking at completion rates, how journeys vary depending on the device that's used, and where we could see users circling back to content, which is a general indication of confusion and a poor user experience. In terms of a specific example, one really straightforward one that I had was how do users get to the step-by-step -step and can this journey be improved? So using this software, I was able to identify that 20% of users travel to the three same pages before getting into the step-by-step. -step. And those pages were the company's house organization page, and then into this starting a company page that then takes users into the limited company step-by-step and then finally users circle back to the step-by-step -step homepage. So how can we improve these journeys? Um, based on the findings, to tackle the issue in this particular example, the recommendation was to add a direct link from the company's house page directly into the step-by-step -step and to benchmark that performance. If you just go to the next slide, perfect. Um, which obviously would reduce the need to visit those three pages down to a, to a single one. Next slide, please. Yeah. So that was just an example. But in terms of an end product to this analysis, we were able to consolidate an extremely complicated journey into a singular visualization that took key insights from the Disco process mining and more traditional Google Analytics analysis. So this is the final visualization where each step in the step-by-step -step is color-coded and weighted. I'm sure it's probably going to be quite small on the screen, but hopefully you'll get an idea that um, the color code and the weightedness is to reflect each of the steps' popularity, as well as summarizing the main routes in, which is the green arrows, and the routes out, which are the red ones. It also covers our key insights and recommendations with a final visualization of what an idealized journey would look like in the bottom right-hand corner. So that was an extremely quick whistle-stop tour of GDF, GWK, and the start of business work. Uh, I'm now going to park, pass back over to Anne and Rudy to get on with the main part of the session. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Daisy. That that was a great overview about about the project, and I think like you explained here um, just now, and also in the in the case study, you're coming into this process mining analysis from a very specific background where you're already looking at that data. You already have that data, right, in Google Analytics. One of the limitations there is that you always only see two steps, right? There's only like the page uh, and where with other page people came from before. So like you're explaining here is you're looking at actually longer sequences of flows, which yeah gives new insights and new possibilities. Yeah, exactly. This was something that was completely novel for Gov.uk, which, you know, with millions of users every day, the volume of data that we've got is enormous. So being able to look at look at journeys from like a whole end to end perspective is something that's incredibly valuable, but something that's brand new. That um, is a real mark, I think, of where things are going for the kind of UK, UK Gov.uk. Right, right. And so and one thing I'm curious about is like how easy was it to get into the yeah the the kind of thinking you you need to let's let's put it in a different way to start with process mining you have to um, understand some some basics about how to look at the data from a process perspective and to learn a little bit how to do a process mining analysis now yeah you were not like a process um, mining analyst before so, so how 
yeah, how does it integrate into the tool sets, into the skill sets of someone who's who's looking at um, yeah customer journey data before us? Anything maybe that you that comes to yeah, mind or you want to point out? Yeah, so on UK, we're really lucky because we have an entire team that we call our data labs team, which is a team of data scientists that obviously have a much higher technical skill set than perhaps me as a performance analyst. So part of this work was to work really closely with those data scientists to identify tooling and software that was fit for purpose with the data that we had um, that we could quickly learn to use and to get insights out of. Um, but definitely having that kind of data science capabilities within our kind of within the program was key to being able to kick this piece of work off. Right. Yes. Yeah. The, the, exactly. The, the skills to yeah, get the data ready and um, yeah, get it out of the systems. That's certainly one of the things that, yeah, yeah, you already have all of that already in the team. I think uh, really right when uh, one thing that we sometimes um, have discussed is that in the customer journey analysis, there's also a lot of different roles uh, involved. So you have the domain experts who know the processes or who are responsible for the processes. And so sometimes also getting all of these people together can be a, can be a challenge, right? Yeah. Yeah. So especially what I see with uh, customer journey mining uh, is uh, typically for traditional processes, you have some kind of process owner who is actually responsible uh, for changing the process or implementing something different or maintaining the performance of that particular process. But if you look at customer journeys, they are something a little bit more new to most organizations. So the responsibility of actually maintaining these customer journeys is not um, yeah, push to one particular person. And so often what I see in practice is that you have multiple people looking at a journey. So for example, from, from a more commercial point of view, um, yeah, saying that, for example, if they want to invest uh, in marketing initiatives, they want, of course, see um, yeah, how much value comes from one particular uh, um, um, marketing strategy, for example. Uh, but another perspective is the more technical aspect of it. If you want to change a particular website, for example, that's more the responsibility of the technical director. So, uh, Desi, if you look at your organization, do you also see that you have multiple you know, people who are being responsible for different kind of aspects of, of this customer journey? Yeah, definitely. We have a very similar sort of situation where we're very lucky within Gov.uk because we've got multidisciplinary teams. So within each team, there is content designers, service designers. We have project and product managers, as well as kind of front end and back end developers. So in terms of kind of owning a space, we definitely have the capabilities. But the difficulty that we have is obviously when we look at our kind of end to end journeys, it spans multiple departments, multiple yeah, services that yeah. fit in different yeah. places. So it's more about how you can join up when you have people to have tend to have ownership over quite a, a part of the journey, how you join that up to be able to do this whole user journey analysis, which is the new way of trying to look at this problem space for, for the UK. Um, which is really interesting and definitely a logical way because when you think about users or kind of consumers of this, that's how people think about it. It's I'm looking to start my business. It's not so much looking at individual parts within it. They want to do the whole thing. So looking at it from that perspective makes so much more sense. Yes. 
Yeah, absolutely. And did, did you find that bringing in process mining as like one in, an additional tool in, a, of course, big toolbox of data analysis tools that you and your team already are using, did that change anything in those types of interactions or was it exactly the same? Yeah, no, it definitely, it's helped us enormously because obviously as the role of a performance analyst, that's often our part of our job is trying to explain the kind of what's going on, what people are actually doing, where people are struggling. Um, but without a useful visualization, that's often quite hard to get across, especially at kind of like a senior level. So process mining and having that visualization has been able to help us describe these sort of issues and problems in a way that we haven't been able to do before. And obviously like the visualization I showed right at the end, it's helped us being able to collate all of those really complex ideas into something that's very deliverable to a wide audience. So it's been something very new, but very exciting. Yeah, great. So if I understand you correctly, through the visualization, um, the communication with um, especially the people who are more responsible for the process or on the, on the business side, yeah, you can explain or bring them in more easily, perhaps? Yeah, definitely. That's been, and they've responded really well. It's, it's gone down very well for this kind of piece of work and it's made my job as an analyst a lot easier. Great, awesome. Um, so maybe let me check. There are a few um, questions already in the chat. So let me see whether anyone uh, watching right now has a has a question that we can discuss all uh Right now, so I'll just read it out uh, for all of you. Uh, so one question is: Apparently, this is all based on application steps within one big web application, or not? And if so, is the mining is this mining the application usage process instead of the underlying business process, or do I miss uh, something? So the question is a little bit: Yeah, the application and the process is the the process the same as reflected in the application or not? Are there are there any differences? How do you see that? Can you so can you try and explain that? I think because maybe we use different terminology for kind of civil service. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think what what the question here is 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 the customer process actually the same as the business process, or how are these two things are being related to each other? Right. Oh, I see. Yeah. No. So actually, in terms of like a user and us as kind of like service providers, it is different because some of the things that a user would need to do is just to be aware of an, a, a piece of content or to look things up to see if it's relevant for them. Some of the stuff is done purely offline based on um, a user's understanding and their specific needs for their business. Whereas from us as kind of uh, service providers, obviously we're looking at the kind of end goal, which is registration, um, you know, applications for licenses and that sort of thing. So they are very closely aligned, but there's definitely things that, a user would need to do that is not related necessarily to a specific service. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's also what I see often is if you look at the business process, then of course the whole step of this customer interaction is kind of being enfolded in, into one step, which in reality are multiple steps at different times, for example. 
And another thing, and that's maybe also what you see with this, this Google Analytics, is that you are plugging in this customer process much earlier, right? So you can see where they are coming from and what kind of things they were searching for, for example, or was there a particular hook link where they got into this particular process and see if that worked out and maybe even get some additional information. So from my perspective, it looks like that this customer process is starting much earlier than the defined business process. Yeah, I would definitely say that's true. We can learn a lot from looking at where users are coming from within the site, but also where they're you know what they're searching for in Google to get to the to get to the kind of endpoints. So we can see where there may be confusion and where we can help to streamline that process to kind of optimize the user experience to make it as easy as possible based on that sort of kind of journeys in and routes in. Right. Yes. I think, yeah, what you what you just um, discussed is like, I think, good examples also for where there are still maybe some differences um, or yeah, the, the two views on the process do not exactly map onto each other one to one. But at the same time, I think that's uh, exactly one of the benefits of the overall digitalization, right, is that actually the processes that are reflected in the systems are much closer to reality because people are really working through those systems and whether you're uh, really um, doing your application for something uh, with the government through the website and what is happening behind um, the clicks that you make on the website is, is resulting in automated steps in the system is much closer to the actual process than maybe it used to be when they're, yeah, people yeah. were doing things manually, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and there's another difference, and that's also a little bit more related to what I see what process mining is, is, of course, the definition of the case ID. So if you look at the customer perspective, then you really are tracking the interactions of what the customer is doing independent of what, uh, what he's doing it for. And from a business uh, process point of view, it's often already a customer product combination. Eh? So I'm doing an application for a particular insurance product, for example, and then you are tracking uh, that application for that uh, yeah, particular product. Um, and from the customer journey perspective, it's kind of independent. Uh, you can see it as a life cycle of a customer where a customer is interacting at a certain moment in time, independent of what kind of product or what the goal of that customer is. Right. Yes. And that's maybe also where um, I think that's one of the big emphasis that I hear frequently when people talk about customer journey mining is that one important starting point is that you take the viewpoint of the customer in the first place, right? You're not looking at the process from the inside, like how are we in our organization uh, internally performing this process, but you're explicitly putting yourself into the shoes of your customer and trying to look at how they experience interacting with your organization from the outside. Um, and yeah, that's that's then also resulting in, in a different viewpoint per definition. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's something that's you know that's core to what we do is putting kind of the user needs first and that's all yeah. been of you know the biggest importance is understanding that and what the kind of process mining allows us to do now is just to better understand the journey as a whole um and being able to make uh, recommendations because obviously we design services and content and everything to the best of our ability based on that moment but when you have new information or new tools at your, dis at your disposal, um, being able to kind of iterate on those designs to better suit the user needs that we can now see is really valuable and obviously what we hope to achieve.
Yeah, exactly. Great. Let me just see, and there were a few more messages. So Steve said that's very interesting use case to use cross mining to improve yeah customer experience, which is exactly what what we just talked about. Um, Pavlos is asking whether there are any hints how to identify repeated visitors. Um, Now later on we will give a little bit of a, of an example, um, like on a uh, on a customer journey analysis. I don't think we have anything specifically about repeated visitors, but maybe it's something we can a little bit talk a little bit about there because there we also see certain loops and things like that, right? Rudy, do you think that's maybe something we can maybe defer to that? Yeah. yeah. Um, let me see. And one more question is. Um, yeah, basically, oh, um, yeah, I think, no, let me see. Basically, yeah, Mark uh, and Sean are talking about basically the initial question, like what the applications are actually, where the data is coming from and whether this is one application or exactly reflecting the, the process um, application also. Um, yeah, I think so. They're, they're just... Yeah, clarifying some things there. I think we, yeah, we have we have covered that already. Okay, so now then I would suggest let's um, yeah move on to the next part of the session where we specifically wanted to look some of those challenges and we have already mentioned um, yeah the first challenge really you were just talking about how, that we can actually look differently um, at a customer journey right and so we have um, identified let me just. Um, Yeah, bring in the overview slide here for the, the three main challenges that we see. So I think, let me update it. It's not, we still see the last one. Now, now you can see it. Okay. So basically there's these three main challenges that you uh, will encounter when you look at um, yeah, data, uh, customer journey data with process mining. And um, yeah, we want to go through these three steps uh, or these three challenges and discuss them in more detail. So the, the first one is like, what do you see as the, the customer journey? There's actually, yeah, it sounds very simple, uh, but it's something yeah that you really need to think about before you even start extracting the data because this will have an influence on, um, yeah, on how the data should be extracted. And it's also not so not so clear perhaps as it might seem as, at first right Rudy you just uh, mentioned some examples already like maybe the customer applies for different products right are there other kind of combinations or other choices that you see people should consider in this phase yeah yeah so what I see in practice is of course uh, if you look at a customer journey then you can take uh, some kind of click from an online channel for example as a logical thing that's being logged by data because you actually need data in order to apply process mining um, however if you look at a more concept uh, conceptual perspective uh, then there is some kind of concept which they call a touch point as uh, some kind of touch uh, of a particular customer and this can happen of course from yeah, different type of channels it could be a call uh, from a particular customer it can be an email uh, it can be uh, some interaction with the portal or maybe a physical vi visit if that's possible in the future uh, going uh, to a store or to a bank uh, location and all of these touch points can also be logged so that means that of course uh, each of these touch points are coming from maybe a different type of system and needs to be combined into some kind of object we want to track yeah and this object could of course be a customer 
but it could of course also be something like a combination or customer product combination or uh, maybe something else a customer in a particular time frame uh, for example and another example and that's an example of uh, for example total uh, they presented at uh, camp uh, last year so that Mm -hmm. video is still up so we can create a link to it they look at it from uh, also the uh, contextual perspective and then see it more as a life cycle and so they have defined the life cycle of a customer becoming a customer but also at the end of the life cycle when the customer goes away for example and they track the customer through these stages so that's more of an abstract view on what the customer is doing when they become a customer but then leave and maybe at a later point come back and become customer again and of course this contextual information is all very interesting to see uh, what kind of information you are providing to that customer at a certain moment in time yeah yes exactly yeah these are all i think very yeah good examples and it also shows that Actually, yeah, because there is these different views, it's a good idea to anticipate that from the beginning and to leave your options open. So, for example, um, yeah, for example, if you, in terms of the steps, should it be the the page name or um, yeah, the URL or some some other attribute that you mm. want to visualize, mm. they should all be included. So you have the, still the chance to use them all later on. Yeah. yeah, and of course, that's also as related to complexity, of course. Uh, the ambition often is to have being able to do everything, right? So yeah. having this contextual view, looking for the customer all over all the channels. But that, of course, also introduced uh, a lot of complexity with the data extraction. Um, so sometimes it's, uh, and when you get started, it's good to start with extracting one type of system and then being able to see, for example, how is this system being used by the customer and then add new channels to it. And it doesn't mean that you have to add every channel right away, but you can, and that's one of the advantages of process mining, you can just uh, combine, for example, two channels and then see how the customer is moving from one channel to the next. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, Daisy, did you, was it clear for your team immediately, like what the case ID would be, what the activities would be that you would want to visualize or did you experiment and try different things? Yeah, so actually we were really, really lucky because we had this kind of central pieces of content that we were interested in. Identifying our like users within that was just any user that had passed through those pieces of content during their journey. So for us, that was really easy. But obviously, when you start to think about extending that analysis, for us, it's around developing other sorts of user profiles. So, for example, being able to compare users that were on a mobile device to using a desktop and see how behavior change, because it might be that the content you're providing or the experience you're providing on a mobile device is better or worse than what you're getting on a desktop. And obviously that would have an impact on designs and all that sort of stuff. So the actual kind of journeys at the beginning were simple, but obviously it's how you then kind of dive deeper and start adding in kind of more meta data layers into that to try and understand the kind of, yeah, the different types of users that you might have going through that journey. Right. Yes. I think that's a that's a very good point. Also, like you mentioned, you had this very clear question. So there was a very clear business question that you started with in this project. You wanted to understand how people who um, visit the site for understanding how they can start uh, a company, right? What um, Whether they are getting what they need, whether they are finding what they need to do what they came to 
do there for us. So it was, it's very, it's a very clear situation. So you can really focus also your understanding of what is the customer journey? What's the scope of the process? What are the steps that you want to see based on that understanding? So the clearer, it, it holds for any process mining analysis, but I think for customer journeys, it's particularly important. The more you know about the, the key questions that you want to answer, that will help you in making the right choices in the preparation as well. Yeah, mm. for sure. So let's just, um, maybe there's a few more questions. Let's just see what, what people are saying and whether we can address them already. So one of the questions, I think um, that is a question for, for you, Daisy. Uh, Oscar is asking, how much uh, preparation did you need to apply to the Google Analytics data to feed it into Disco? So in terms of data preparation, again, it's been amazing being able to work with data scientists because um, they've created an entire kind of automated pipeline for us to be able to get the data out. So actually the data characteristics that we need are relatively simple because it's the kind of user ID, the activity related to either a page view or an event and then timestamps and then any other kind of additional data we want, a type of device and all that sort of stuff. So... In terms of the, the difficulty, I'm sure from a data science perspective that creating the pipeline was a challenge, but the advantage is now we've created something that's completely um, usable for different people in different scenarios. So we can define any customer journey based on a URL or series of URLs that they've gone through and they can put it into the pipeline and it gives us the data that we need in the correct format to upload straight away and to start kind of analyzing and using it so it's been really great being able to combine the kind of performance analysis and data science capabilities excellent yeah so i think yeah he, there was a follow-up question from oscar about that whether you did to whether you did to have to set up google analytics in a particular way or was it more after extracting the data that this preparation work um needed to be done? Yeah, so the data that we used obviously is from Google BigQuery, which is the cloud data warehouse that provides the data that we look at in GA. So obviously accessing that warehouse directly was how we we're able to get this data out, which we're not able to see in GA, the GA interface. But where Google Analytics has really come in is obviously once we've identified something in the process mining um, that's of interest and we need to find out more information, we can then use that to better formulate questions for a more to kind of traditional GA analysis that gives us even more information about a pattern or a a type of behavior that's going on and why that might be occurring and what else might be happening at the same time. So that kind of combination of all those kind of different skills and tools has been really helpful. Right. Yes. Great. Well, um, there's there's been one article that we can also, when we uh, in a week or or so, when we um, really publish the the recording of today's session, we can include a few of the links um, that we we are referring to here. So one of them is um, that there has been an article which describes also how to um, get data for prospecting out of Google Analytics. For so for people who want to take that route, maybe that can be a starting point. And there's some some examples there that you that you can take a look at. So we want to make sure to in include that when we when we put it out next week. Um, and another question um, that's um, yeah I think yeah another question for you Daisy is 
Uh, did you measure the effect on customer satisfaction by changing the process? Um, did you did you already go that far, change, measuring the changes that you that you made? Yeah. So in terms of like benchmarking, obviously what we're able to do is kind of use the the timestamp data to look at kind of user journeys prior and post any change, which gives us the kind of more quantitative. Um, sort of findings that we need to do to say whether there's been any kind of change in the large scale but also what we're able to access is then look at kind of the qualitative data so we have a feedback mechanism within the site that allows users to leave comments and feedback and obviously we can then combine that with any findings that we see to see whether you know we've had a general positive effect or neutral effect or even negative effect on a user's experience so it's been yeah That's kind of generally how we do that. Yeah, great. I think um, that's also really when we look about the at the three challenges that we identified, right, for customer journeys, the last point, we will come to that later, is taking action. But I think that's a little bit related to to this particular point where, yeah, because um, customer journey mining is often really related to the experience of the of the, the, the users. So the, it's more of a qualitative uh, measurement. So, yeah, that's that how to actually measure how the improvements were made. Yeah, that's that's one of the considerations that you can then take on after the analysis. So maybe we, we can talk about yeah. that also a little bit more there. Yeah, so one thing which I can add is um, if you look at it from a customer point of view, uh, then the process is one aspect of it. Um, that gives you the experience, but they also experience the product. And so, for example, if you look at the loan uh, process, then the rent of that loan process is, of course, crucial for the customer to yeah, choose uh, that particular pro product or go elsewhere. Uh, so it's not only the experience, but also the product itself. And uh, one of the challenges is of this, I think, the the uh, uh the, the feedback you get is try to unweave what is actually related to particular aspects of the the experience itself and can you quantify that for example lead time or having to repeat or correct certain things um versus yeah what's more product specific um um, yeah, and this is of course very difficult. So if you try to find correlations between the experience, for example, then you really have to know: is this feedback related to the experience or more or less to the product? And was it the decision which we made uh, that should be part of that experience or not? Um, because not everything can be good. Uh, you also you know, want to make certain decisions about the branding or experience you want to give. Uh, so if you are cheap, of course, then you would get that particular experience. Um, Yeah. Yes, exactly. Okay, so, so maybe let's come back to that point of what to do with those insights a little bit more towards the end. But um, um, so, yeah, I think maybe one question here is a little bit still related to the point that uh, we started to discuss here at the moment about what we actually see as the customer journey. And we already mentioned that you can look at it from different angles. Um, where was it? Uh, yes. So, for example, Mark asks, like, what about uh, a case where uh, a connection was lost, right? Should that process be restarted? Because if the customer starts kind of a session, but then 
had to reconnect and start over again. Is that a new session or is this still the same case? And that's exactly, I think, a good example, Mark, for what we are talking about here, that mm. it's, there's no right or wrong answer about this, right? You have to define for yourself based on your analysis questions how you want to see this. Yeah. And yeah, the way you see the data that also then has influences on the the way that you prepare the data and maybe yeah so this in a way brings us to the second point challenge right so i'll just um bring up the the three points again here for an overview and um so this is yeah one of the major challenges with customer journey mining is that you have to deal with complexity you always have to deal with complexity and most processes are more complicated than people expect but with uh, customer journeys it's even more um, complicated and yeah more something to account for and this complexity comes from different places so um, or in different emerges in different dimensions right so one of the things we already mentioned Rudy you said that people are because the customers um, engaging with the organization across different channels the data for these different channels is usually in different different systems for example there's a CRM system or there's the clickstream data from the website um, and there's you know all these different data sources that you actually need to combine together to get the full end-to-end -end customer journey overview so um yeah so that's like what you said really right to keep it simple at the beginning maybe start with just one data source and add different channels later Is anything else that maybe we should try to remember in this stage about the the different data sources that you've come across Yeah, yeah. So, uh, of course, if you look at process mining, it can be simple at the start. Eh? You only need these three ingredients. Eh? So, case ID, uh, timestamp and activity. Uh, so, it can be very simple, actually. Um, however, if you start analyzing, then you would, of course, need certain things. So, one of the, the best practices is try to start with some kind of core data set. So, don't make it too complex for yourself. Of course, you can start with an extra uh, extract, but also from that extract, you already can select some of the columns you want to analyze first um, and then try to keep it simple at first and then um, yeah, grow your data set along the way. Um, but yeah, maybe it's also interesting to hear from Daisy how, how you started. So your first data set, for example, and how it evolved. Yeah, I think it was a real surprise for us because you know, Gov.uk itself gets millions of users every day, but obviously this pieces of content are not quite as po popular as that. Um, so it was surprising to us just the pure like complexity of the data when we kind of did our initial download and looked at the outputs of that within the software. And what we kind of learned was to very quickly try and, you know, be a bit more realistic with your date range to ensure that you initially look at something that's manageable that you can see a lot more of the kind of the complexities in the data set because if you start with something that's too large it basically becomes pretty unmanageable in mm. terms of the data and that isn't to say that you can't look at those but it definitely helped by starting off small uh, and then adding in more as you became more comfortable or you're able to form better questions um yeah That was definitely a learning, and but also the the ability to add in kind of additional data fields onto each kind of um, each kind of data input. I would say, you know, being able to look at, you know, where you know has it come from a mobile device or um, 
you know, is it come from a particular, has the journey started in a particular page that allows us then to kind of filter on and kind of hone down a bit more within the data to get more understanding as opposed to just looking at absolutely everything. Yeah. yeah, and did you did you add those attributes along the way? So I could imagine that the the data scientists is are good to extract that data, but that somebody needs to feed them in order. What would be good hypothesis in order to dive a little bit deeper? So how how did you how was the interaction with the data scientist and and the domain expert uh, in this particular situation? Yeah, so I think obviously um, working with like the kind of the team structures that we have is fantastic because we're able to do the initial analysis and feed that back into the team. And because, you know, professions like uh, analysts are often embedded, they're able to be, they're used to knowing the sort of things that we can look at and the sort of data that we can provide. So being able to say, this is what we're seeing initially, and then they can be, they can offer recommendations or requests to be like, oh, it would be really interesting to know, for example, how our mobile users are different or how, um, you know, we want to just look at what exactly events users are doing. So what exactly they're doing on the pages as opposed to just the pages themselves. So being able to do it kind of incrementally with the input of the team so that everybody has a kind of investment in the, the analysis. So everyone knows what work we're doing and what we're hoping to understand from it. Um, and then feeding that back into the data scientists that hopefully that's possible to get out, which it was always very successful. And then we kind of, it makes that whole process a lot easier of delivery and like making improvements and recommendations and all those sort of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And that's already all just based on this one data source, right? The clickstream data. So yeah, I think it really is a good idea always, but specifically here also to work iteratively and maybe start with this one data source um, before you bring in maybe even other channels like CRM data or, or something like that yeah. to connect yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, so so one of the other challenges, of course, if you start connecting these these uh, data sets together, uh, then, uh, of course, you need some kind of uh, case ID that you are able to stitch together. Yeah. So if you have, of course, multiple channels, for example, if you have that online user and that mobile user, maybe they operate in a different session ID, but they still have the same uh, customer ID if they are actually logged in. So in this particular case, you would only be able to track logged in user from the one platform uh, to the next. And for the anonymous users, they stay within that platform because they only would have a session ID, for example. Yeah, I think we, we deal with obviously slightly different issues in it, but around kind of anonymous consented is something that we also have to be aware of with dealing with any of this sort of data um, and its complexity is the fact that obviously we're only tracking users that have consented to uh, analytics cookie tracking. So we have to be careful when we're doing analysis that we're not trying to make assumptions that it's 100% of all users of the site, because obviously there will be those that have opted out um, and have to try and make sure that any any recommendations we make are reflective of that. And obviously that's where combining it with the qualitative kind of user research is so important because that obviously gives us much greater detail and understanding when we do kind of user research, like lab sessions where we actually see users using it in the real world um, makes a huge difference. So obviously we don't have the kind of logged in user experience, but we have the consented, which adds a lot of problems and difficulties. 
And the question is if you need to, right? So this is not an auditing uh, kind of analysis where you need to make sure that every uh, kind of case is fulfilling a particular requirement, but you only want to see behavior of particular groups of customer, and especially where you don't, where you see behavior where you don't expect it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I think, yeah, this is like, like one piece right what we're what we've been talking here like the different sources and yeah, the, the, I think that the, the cookie tracking that's probably necessary Daisy just for, for my own understanding that's necessary that you can actually um, see like if users come back for example on a different session the next day or something right otherwise you wouldn't know um, that's the same person who's maybe retrying to go through the same steps again is, is that where you're using that information Yeah, exactly. So analytics cookies is the kind of GDPR guidelines where we have to give users the option option to opt out of the, any sort of tracking. But obviously, it's extremely valuable because, as you say, it means that we can persist those um, cookies that allow us to see our users over time. So we know when they're coming back um, to the to the site and what they're doing on those returning visits, which is really valuable. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so so this is like one piece, like the different different systems and uh, how to potentially connect and follow a, a case. But then another challenge, right? Really, that we also discussed before is that you often very quickly have huge volumes of data, so you need to make a selection somehow. So so how, how, what do you typically recommend uh, to companies how to get to a, a good data sample that is useful? Yeah. yeah, so if you look at clickstream data, and it depends, of course, what type of company you're talking about, but if you are a government agency or have a website with a lot of visits, then it can be very uh, voluminous very quickly. And so then you get a lot of clicks from all of these customers. And then, uh, of course, uh, you are able to, to do this and apply process mining. You can always scale up some kind of system uh, to add more resources to it to be able to analyze it. However, um, now you need to consider whether or not it's, it's worth it. And so it depends a little bit on the question you have. Um, so yeah, for examples, what I see is in order to reduce the complexity, it's also possible to take just samples of particular customers. And so uh, we have an example in a moment where uh, there was a data set containing millions of rows, I think more than 7 million. You can import this in Disco, you can analyze it, it's no problem at all. But just for the purpose to have an example which is more meaningful, uh, we took a sample of a thousand customers. And that actually gives you still the same insights. Yeah, you can still see the patterns of these customers and answers um, yeah, most of these questions. And so you need to determine uh, what would be most useful for answering your particular question. Right. And I think, Daisy, you mentioned that already earlier um, at, an, at an earlier point that you had possibilities to select the data, right? And this allows this kind of iterative way of working where you, for example, select all the data for people who visited a particular page. So that's kind of a selection criteria. And then, then you also have a time frame. So I think parameters like these are what you are basing the, the selection on. Is this correct? Yeah, definitely. I think working with the kind of data set as a whole is always just a bit well there's just no way you could do it for the whole of got to uk it would just be too much so you have to be able to kind of refine it down um, and get all the data out that you could possibly want but then to be more selective in the kind of uh, what you visualize and how you filter that and iterate it based on what you're finding and always with that it's just having 
being realistic and having the kind of key questions of what you're hoping to get out of it and then kind of refining it down as you go makes life a lot easier. Great. Exactly. Excellent. So, yeah, looking at complexity and how to deal with complexity, we talked already about the complexity of having uh, probably multiple data sources that ultimately need to be joined. If you want to look at the full journey, we also already talked about the volume of data that you need to make a selection for. But then on top of that, you still have um, the challenge that once you import the data into the mining tool, uh, you are going to be face, facing uh, complexity of the process there too. And one of the reasons is simply that there are a lot of different activities, for example, a lot of different pages that people can visit, right? So also there you need to deal with that complexity. And so really we prepared um, an example, right, to show people a little bit um, how, how to do that. Do you want to take us through through this yeah, example? Yeah, sure. I'll bring yeah. up the, the screen over here. Yeah. So this is this is an example. This is, uh, uh, is an example which I used a couple of years ago in order to yeah, show how uh, these customer journey analysis can be done. So it's based upon real data. Uh, it's uh, from a data set from an employee insurance agency in the Netherlands. So when you uh, are unemployed, you can uh, apply for unemployment benefits. Um, and the data set is coming from 2016. Um, now, there's much more to it. So uh, we uh, trimmed down this data set uh, in order to, uh, to, to get one, one view on this data. So this is the actual data set. Um, now it includes various columns. Um, and now for the first thing, what we need is a case ID, timestamp, and activity. So in this particular example, the case ID is the customer ID. So they here are able to track the customer uh, through uh, the process. And in this particular example, the data set is composed of two data sets. So it's click streams on a portal, um, but also uh, asking questions to an, uh, on a messaging type of system. Um, And uh, they also have another candidate for a case ID, which is here the session ID. And the session ID is a more or less a shorter uh, kind of sequence. So one customer could have multiple sessions. So it depends a little bit on yeah, uh, what they are doing at a certain time frame. Um, but the customer ID is kind of related to a social security number. Huh? So you have one customer and then see everything what, they, what the customer has done over time. Um, the second thing we need is an activity. So in this particular case, it's a touch point. Uh, so it's either clicking something or asking a question and the moment at which uh, this has been done. Um, so this touch point has one abbreviation. Uh, so the name of the touch point is being translated into one word or Uh, a couple of words combined, but it's coming from a URL. So you have a URL of a page that actually is being visited. Um, and the moment at which that click or that page is being visited is, is kind of the timestamp. So here we have a starting timestamp. So that's the moment at which the click is being produced. Uh, and here we also have an end timestamp because if you ask a question, then the starting point of asking the question is the starting point, and then they have an end timestamp here when the question is being handled and when a reply is being provided. And these three ingredients is already sufficient to apply 
yeah, what we call then customer journey mining. We have some other attributes, uh, which can be attributes saying something about the customer itself uh, or things uh, that are now being added uh, in the uh, data uh, preparation step. So we can import this data. And then, of course, it produces a process map, which looks yeah, kind of simple at first. So this is uh, uh, yeah, some data, original data, quality issues which are in there. Some of the events don't have a timestamp. So that's four events in the total data sets uh, which don't have a timestamp is mentioned here, of course, by Disco that they cannot be imported. Um, and here, and you can see the process map. So it looks like a reasonable process map at first, but if you pull up the activity slider showing all the activities here, then you will see that uh, the process is actually quite quite complex. Eh? So there are a lot of pages, of course, that, that can be visited. Uh, and some of these pages are more exceptional, which are only visited once, for example. Uh, and if you pull up the activity slider while the path slider is still to a zero percent, so I'm not showing all the paths, then you can see that it's already quite quite complex. And, and one of the powerful things of process mining is that you can explore actually these process maps. And so without having any hypothesis yet, uh, you are able to zoom in uh, to the more common uh, customer behavior. So for example, looking at the 50% here of the activities, so the most common activities here. And then at the bottom right corner, you can see some, some kind of patterns going on. And so you can see you know, some kind of pages are being visited by this customer in, in, in a more frequent pattern. So having kind of a sequence. And so if you look at uh, an ordering uh, if this was an ordering website, then this could be the checkout, for example. Uh, but in this particular case, if we look closely, um, the application process of uh, when you are becoming unemployed, then you apply for unemployment benefits. And on the left side, we can see the sequence of applying for the unemployment benefits at the central agency. So this is um, uh, the central agency, UOV. But there is also an option, and which is the sequence on the right side, which is applying for the unemployment benefits at the local agency. And depending on which regulation applies to you, you need to either apply uh, for the central uh, unemployment benefits or for the local unemployment benefits. And... In order to yeah, um, work with this complexity, as so you saw in the context, it was really complex. We can filter out this application process, for example, to make things a little bit easier and to be able to answer particular questions. So to look only at these uh, pages which are related to these unemployment benefits. And so that's the thing what we are doing now is filter out only the, these activities which are related to these unemployment benefits. And then we can create a copy to look 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 at the process and how it looks uh, and then we can pull up this activity slider again to to see all of these pages and then it looks like uh, a reasonable process and eh? so it has some kind of sequence uh, it starts with the first step and then ends with step eight here's uh, uh, finalizing the submission and we can already see that some of them are actually returning back but if we pull up the the path slider now then we can see that this process is actually much more complex. And so we have different starting points kicking off this application process. And so these are all the dotted lines going from the top to these different activities. Um, 
and in this particular case, it means uh, we have a certain time frame where we pick the data, and it could be that some of these cases are not uh, completely in our data set, and so we are missing some of the starting point data here. Uh, so one of the things what we uh, can do is have an hypothesis to, to say, yeah, we only want to see these cases that started with the first step that particular step. So on the left side, we can see that we have 26% of these these cases. And if we filter now all these cases, which actually have this, this starting point with this, this first step um, uh, being included of having the personal details. And so that's the first step here. So now we filter these cases that actually start with the first step uh, with the details. And now we can see that we have 18% of the total population is actually starting with this particular starting application process. Um, so yeah, from this particular context, um, we are able to see the process. So if you switch to the case frequency, then you can clearly see that there is a strong process here. And so following the thick parts from the starting point, it goes from uh, your personal details uh, to mentioning the last employer to the dismissal, how it works. And then yeah, it goes through this process step by step uh, and then finally arriving at send data, which stands, of course, for the submission and uh, finally submitting uh, my application. Um, and what we have here is yeah, some of these applications are actually complete, so result in a submission, uh, but some of them will never result in a submission. So I could have I have two two questions. Yes? Uh, so I could have a question about how about these cases where uh, when is, when we arrive at the submission, what happens to them, but also having separate questions about all the submissions that did not convert. Um, and we are able to even filter it down by looking at all of the cases with the submission uh, by clicking on this uh, on this uh, submission activity and then apply here. And now we see all the cases with the submission and can see how they go through the process. Uh, we can see the percentage of number of cases. And if we simplify this process, then we can see the main deviation of the behavior. And so luckily what we see here is a kind of a linear process. But the first deviation we see in this particular process is going back after the submission to uh, your personal details. So going back into the process in order to kick off uh, the application again. And one of the questions here, of course, from a behavior point of view, why is this happening? Yeah, so uh, after the submission, did this particular uh, user or customer think that they did something wrong and need to do a resubmission, for example? And so then you get more information from the uh, behavioral perspective. But of course, you can also take the inverse. And by looking at all the cases that did not convert, and so from a, from a conversion point of view, uh, then it would be interesting to see where people are not converting. So if you pull up the path slider here, then we can see all the cutoff points uh, of where in the process people did not convert. And so luckily we see that at the first step, most of them are actually ending, uh, but some of them are ending later on in the process. And of course that, that should not, not happen. So they already invest uh, some time in order to fill in all of this this information, but eventually did not arrive at the final submission. And so why why did it happen? And this, of course, can result to new hypotheses uh, to particular questions. And so one of the questions could be uh, yeah, this uh, this resulted into a particular question uh, that's being asked. 
uh, by this particular person, or maybe something went wrong in their submission and an error popped up. And, and this information we can add, so we have this particular context, but we just add new uh, pages or uh, touch points to it. And so one of the touch points is asking a question, and the other one is uh, fault melding, which is translated as an error, an error happening in the website. Um, and when we apply, then we can see these things in the context. And so uh, at the bottom, we see this asking question. So after which page are they actually asking a question? And we would even be possible to see what kind of questions they are asking here. But also when a sort of er error is happening. So when they try to do uh, filling in particular information and then try to go to the next page, when did it result into an error and were they able to continue proceed? Or was it actually ending um, their, their application? So that's that's often yeah one part of it. So looking at the context, and then you you see that there are many layers. Huh? You peel this as an onion and going to the core, and then explore, and that results into generating questions, and then dive a little bit deeper. So yeah, from my perspective, it's very much an hypothesis-driven kind of approach um, that really yeah, requires multiple perspectives in order to yeah, find the right answers to these to these questions. Um, but another one uh, is more related to what we already discussed, is the case ID. That's um, it's kind of a, a difficult one. And so if we go back to the, uh, to the disco overview and we go back to the initial uh, data set, um, and then we are now looking at it from a customer perspective. And so each customer here is uh, uh, yeah, showing the whole, whole case of that particular customer. Uh, so if we simplify and look at the main pages, so the pages which are visited most, uh, so only 2% here uh, of the population and then a half of the pods, and then we get a contextual view of this particular, um, yeah, of these interactions, and then you can see cycles. And yeah, let me take an example here. So we have the homepage uh, on the right side there, yeah. And yeah, you can take detours from this homepage. And so if I'm a customer, I start with a homepage and then do something, and then return back to a homepage. And one of the assumptions uh, is, is of course, if I go and visit and travel from a homepage doing something and travel back, that I did something meaningful. Uh, so you can cut off these sequences to make yeah, smaller sequences in order to determine what the customer is doing. Um, and here you can see that currently we look at it from a customer ID perspective. So we can see all the events which are happening for one customer over the time. And so it could be that this includes the, both of the, the application, but half a year later updating their resume, for example. These things are all in there. Um, but if you look at it from a homepage to homepage perspective, then things become much smaller. And then you can see all the interactions which are tying to one particular interactions between visiting a homepage and then returning back to a homepage and making it smaller. And in this particular slide, uh, you, can, you, you can see this context for this example. And so here you can see all the interactions. Um, and each coloring here indicates the interactions which are tied to visiting a homepage and then returning back to the homepage. And what we did is the data is already there. 
but the only thing what we do is add the sequence number and so the first one uh, visit from homepage to homepage is uh, has a visit number one and then the second one is assigned to the second and 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 so forth and so forth so we add additional column to the data in order to make this possible um, and if you are doing this then of course you can re-import this data and so we are importing the data uh, with this additional column and here on the right side we have this column which is a home page sequence number and then we can make this a case id as well so we are combining what we call a customer id and the iteration of visiting this home page uh, and if we start importing now and then we would be able to see that this particular customer which we seen earlier has now multiple uh, sequences uh, of visiting this homepage. I'll go back to this case and then uh, um, yeah, looking for uh, this particular case, um, 448033. And then now we can see that there are actually 19 cases there. Huh? So previously we saw that this was combined into one case of one customer, but now we can see all the interactions from one, uh, from visiting the homepage till the second homepage. Yeah, and what we can do now is do maybe some more meaningful analysis. And so if we go back to the process map uh, and then look for, for example, the uh, asking of a question, then we can look at all the interactions where asking of a question was part of visiting uh, the homepage uh, from the homepage and taking a due tour to visiting the next homepage. And so now we can see the more contextual perspective of, okay, when are we asking a question? In a lot of cases, we first start asking a question and do something else. But in some cases, they visit the homepage first and then I'll start asking a question. And you can also see where they are going to after asking a question. So, yeah, sometimes it's obvious to to define what the case ID is, but there are many more possibilities, not only taking a customer ID, for example, uh, but also or a session ID, which are kind of obvious, but also taking yeah, these kind of ways in order to prepare the data to, to do some meaningful analysis as well. Yeah, exactly. Thanks a lot, really, for this. I think the illustration that you just um, did shows really nicely also this yeah, this um, iterative way of working, right? Where it's on the one hand side, the explorative aspect of process mining, where you see something, for example, you see a certain pattern um, that is basically the, the, the basis based on which you can form hypothesis. And then on the other hand, yeah, you need to make selections by zooming in based on particular questions or also based on hypothesis, maybe that you have beforehand already based on domain knowledge but it's this kind of cycle where you see something you check something you see something and um yeah these yeah, were absolutely. two examples for that yeah 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 so yeah i think yeah dealing with with this type of complexity is is, is one of the yeah major challenges like we like we said and um so um yeah, in, in, in the process mining book, for example, we have a separate chapter um, listing nine different uh, strategies, how you can simplify complex process maps. So in the um, together with the report, with the recording, we will um, share the link to those strategies uh, also again. And uh, we can also share the, the data set, right? It's a public data set, uh, yeah. the, the customer journey data set that we used here for this for this example. 
So um, if you want to explore or practice a little bit analyzing uh, yourself um, and you don't have customer journey data from one of your own processes, you can take this public data set and it's from one of the BPI challenges. Um, that's a, an annual challenge by the Technical University in Eindhoven where they provide public data sets for process mining so that people can do analysis based on, based on real data. And we will link yeah. that as well. Yeah, it's a 2016 uh, 16, data set. Yes. So if, uh, <laughs> people can't wait and uh, you can already check it out. Yeah, so maybe, yeah, I'm curious also, um, maybe as, as a question for Daisy, did did this type of complexity, was that a, a problem for you? Often people are overwhelmed when they look at the data in Disco at first, and especially if they pull up all the sliders, all you see is spaghetti, basically, right? Did, you, did that occur to you at all? Yeah, definitely. I think that was the first, because obviously this is new, we haven't really done, well, certainly haven't done process mining in the context of the work that I do um, before. So certainly the first time you see that, like the you start playing around with the sliders and you see the huge amount of complexity is very intimidating. Um, but obviously this is where having... A, having a domain knowledge, so having an idea about what exactly you're looking at. So for us, obviously, it was the, the domain around starting a business. We could start to see that. Um, but also having questions that you're hoping to answer. It's always the helpful thing of just being like, so obviously the one I used in the introduction, which was just like, okay, like what are the common journeys into? And then once you've kind of got that, you're able to drill down a bit more and then be able to see the kind of the common patterns emerging in users, which obviously I saw, which was the kind of the the unnecessary three page step of 20% of the users. So there's definitely that fear when you first look at it to be, but also that's also really useful because, um, you know, we we have to explain all the time that, you know, almost every journey on Gov.uk is unique. Um, is a unique combination of what people are looking at, how they've got in and what they do. Uh, and that's, you sometimes don't appreciate what that actually means for the work of kind of analytical stuff. So being able to say, this is what like a really tiny subset of this looks like, um, actually is really helpful to be able to have a visualization just to say it's really complicated. Um, but there is meaning there if you can ask the right questions. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's also like, Yeah, it, it requires some getting used to, I think, right? That's that's uh, that has been our experience, uh, really, right? It's like that people sometimes when they start out, they initially they have maybe the um, the tendency to think that they always have to use all the data and they always have to look at all the data at once, but to realize that you really have to yeah, focus on certain aspects and yeah that you actually can leave out steps or that you can cut out a part of the process and really focus on that based on the questions that's something that yeah it's it's a kind of a way of thinking that you need to get into a little bit yeah yeah it's a, it's, it's a little bit counterintuitive uh, that uh, you want to see everything but uh, in order to answer questions you have to to focus on certain things and um yeah another thing is what i what i sometimes see and maybe it's also interesting from daisy perspective because i'm I'm sure they're already doing this as well is um, web analytics of course is a big thing and so in a lot of cases they're already analyzing a lot of things of this behavior aspect using web analytics technology and so then of course i get these these yeah, these, these questions so what is process mining bringing to the table so i'm interesting if, if you get this this type of uh, type of questions or, uh, or how, how do you look at it uh, daisy Oh, definitely. I think that's to me, actually, the, the community of performance analysts that we've got is this is exactly the sort of thing that 
and the issue with time because we have our kind of more bread and butter analytical programs that are complicated and difficult to use in themselves um so trying to add in something on top of all of that stuff that people have to keep on top of you know you have to really justify and it has to have value so obviously we've been trying it with the community so people just having the time to get used to it um and to see the value in what they're doing and in some instances like the work that i do it's incredibly valuable because because what we're doing is really new i've got the time to explore it but we've also realized with all the work that's going on with you know brexit and coronavirus that work is changing so quickly especially coronavirus um you know the regulations the guidance all that sort of stuff is changing so quickly that actually sometimes this isn't the right tool because it's moving so quick that we don't they don't have the time to sit down and look at the the huge complexity and the big questions it's it's by the time you've done the work there's something it's different it's changed so finding value for like specific cases of the work that um that we do on gov.uk is really important and then carving out the time to firstly get used to the new tooling and then secondary to actually do the work and be able to kind of iterate and ask the hypotheses and all that sort of stuff it's definitely challenges um but that's the beauty of having a, you know a community where people have lots of different skills within the same discipline is that mm. some people were able to some people have an expert you know knowledge of lots of different things so that's exactly how it should be yeah yeah so so what i see for example with the more traditional weapon of web analytics tools is they have kind of some kind of expectation that things happen linearly and so they are not able to work with rework or these kind of things so they can count rework for example uh, but uh, accounting rework where you revisit a couple of pages in between and then return back it's very difficult to visualize this in a certain way yeah so then you get this traditional bar charge or other type of charge or maybe even change type of di diagrams but they really don't answer these particular questions of what was the actual behavior going through these these sites um, and and it really makes a difference and so one of the examples which I've seen is uh, from uh, a mortgage type of process where they introduced uh, a, a, a tool in order to interact and calculate your max to loan so the amount you can actually loan um, and what they actually saw is uh, at a certain moment in time, you can upload particular documents, but people tend to have very very much difficulty in, in order to upload these documents. So they were able to see that this step upload documents was a problem because they would see that the volume of things, but they were not able to see that there was at least one or two days between these uploads, which was very valuable information in order to see, okay, that these are actually different moments in times where people struggle with uploading these documents. Um, and these kind of things, of course, in the explorer explorative nature of doing process mining gives you a little bit deeper insights and being able to you know, to quickly focus on this particular area to see what's actually going on. And so from that perspective, it really adds to uh, the traditional web analytics tools. And so it's not one or the other, but it really extends this exploration option. And then maybe eventually uh, these findings can be added to a web analytics dashboard back again in order to keep track of what's, what's actually happening. Yeah, exactly. So maybe let me let me take a look whether there's um, any more questions that we have. 
in the chat right now. So, for example, Esther is asking whether you can combine the customer product combination journeys inside out, she calls this, with the interactions like these outside in. The way I understand it, whether the interactions, so the steps that people take, can be looked at from different, in this case, customer product combinations, different case perspectives, right? So to me, this seems like exactly what we have been discussing earlier already in the session, that you can take these different views on what you see as the customer, and as the case ID in, in the context of a customer journey. And yeah, like Rudy explained, like looking at different kind of things the customer or the the user is doing on the site is, is one of the ways to yeah to separate this and to it's one view that you can take yeah yeah and one of the interesting things is to keep these things separately uh, in your data and mm -hmm. so if you have a customer id and if you have a product for example that you have two columns and then you can switch between these perspectives so look at it primarily from a customer perspective or look at it from a customer product combination and yeah. by combining these two columns into a new uh, perspective. Right. That's that's a very good point. That's always what we recommend to people to keep different pieces of information in separate columns because you can combine them very easily do, during the import into Disco and, and make these combinations. But if you have them already combined, you can't look at them any more on a more aggregate or more on a, on a more coarse uh, level. So uh, having them separate, you can just combine like we said, did before with the custom ID and then the session number, uh, and then you get the more fine-grained view. But if you have it already in this combination, then you don't have the choice anymore to look at it on this on this higher level. So that's a good point. Right. And uh, so one last question that we have right now, uh, or there's a few more. So Steve was asking, I think, Daisy, how did you become aware of process mining? Yeah, maybe that's interesting. How did you learn about process mining, Daisy, in the first place? Yeah, so kind of twofold, really. So one was from my kind of ap academic background from doing my master's. Um, and then obviously professionally, this was something that we were trying to problem solve uh, as a team when we realized we were being asked to look at this whole problem space, realizing that the tooling that we currently have isn't entirely fit for purpose and that, you know, we required something additional. And we knew we had the data in the kind of BigQuery data, but we haven't really got a method of looking at it, analyzing it, visualizing it. So it was just working with the data scientists and they did a piece of work of um, looking out across what was available kind of open source, what's available um, as software. And then obviously it was a case of bringing it together with trialing it as a what would work as a performance analyst and what could have. I think the big thing for me was trying to find something that would have like the longevity beyond the, the project that I'm working on, that's something that could solve multiple needs within the community as opposed to just something very very specific um which was yeah how we kind of got into that but it helped having some kind of academic foundation in basic understanding from my master's a few years ago <laughs> yeah that's uh, it's really nice to hear that you were able to continue that uh, that foundation in in this practical way yes mm, let me see so there's actually a few more questions let me try to um, bring them up. So 
um, it's a mix of questions and comments, right? So, for example, Mark is mentioning that different channels like emails, interactions, that that adds a lot of noise um, and can make what you see then in the process analysis a little bit difficult. And that's exactly what, what we've been discussing as, as well and why it's often a good idea to maybe start with one data source before you bring in all kinds of different uh, different systems to have to be combined. Um And um, yeah, so Sergio is also commenting that you need to define what a process instance is across yeah different boundaries in this customer journey, which is exactly the same point. Uh, and yeah, Mark again comments that you can these take these different perspectives. Um, mm. Yeah, so so maybe one comment to yeah. uh, to that to that particular um, question or comment is um, yeah, one, one example um, from uh, the mortgage process, for example, was that they had an kind of an abstract question about how the tool was being introduced. And so they introduced a new tool as part of um, uh, their infrastructure or interaction with the customer. And so typically the, uh, the normal process was going to the bank, having an appointment, Uh, to discuss uh, the max to loan. Eh? So how much are you able to loan? And now they introduced this online tool, being able to do it yourself. And the expectation was, of course, that this tool was being used and found by the customers directly, and then they made an appointment at the bank. Um, so from that particular context, the, the expected ideal journey was going to the tool, uh, making a calculation, and then make an appointment to the bank. And then they started analyzing. Uh, and they actually analyze more from a more abstract point of view. So not the uh, detailed uh, activity steps, but only are they visiting online and do they have an appointment at the bank? And if you look at these touch points, then you only need to figure out which comes first, right? And then you can see what the ideal journey is. And then they were able to see that in uh, 80% of the cases, people first contact calling the bank and then going to the tool. So they were advised by the bank in order to, to go to the tool. So in this way, you can, depending on the question, also take a very abstract view on the same data. So that means you don't have to extract all of these detailed clicks and analyze them separately. You only have have to see whether or not these clicks uh, in the, uh, become earlier than visiting the, or calling the bank, for example. So taking a more abstract view. Uh, that's, so that's also a way to simplify things. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great example. Yes. Um, okay, let, let's look at some more questions. There are a few more. Paco is asking, how did you analyze the customer journey without a process point of view, which I don't really understand the question. Maybe Paco, maybe you can write in afterwards. We can give a we have a contact uh, email address, so we can maybe take take this dis discussion offline. Um, so you can email us to cafe at fluxicon.com or yeah, just uh, contact us in, in any way to yeah to send us also after the session uh, any any follow up questions or comments that you may have. Um, Sean is is asking what was the most surprising thing that you learned, and I think. Daisy, that would be a question for you for your project. That's a really interesting question. So in terms of kind of like final outputs that we were able to kind of provide is we kind of, 
were able to develop kind of two different sorts of recommendations. So things that were related to like a quick win, so easy things that could change. So that could be like, for example, we could see on the final stage of the, the processes, you had to register your business with Companies House and actually using uh, process mining and Disco, we were able to see that users were really circling around this page and it turned out it was just they couldn't find it, the button wasn't very obvious so something that was so simple uh, and really easy for us to change that was the whole point of the entire process which was registration to be able to change that um but then there's you know the much more strategic opportunities so being able to look at it from a much more higher level to see what kind of overall changes that we could make um and that could be things like we've discussed already, the kind of routes in. Um, what else were we doing? You know, changing some of the content, making the steps very obvious, because at the moment it looked from the linear journey that like everything was really important when actually some of the steps were optional, some of them were mandatory. So then we can start thinking about, well, how can we present content in the future that gives users a much clearer idea around things that they have to do and things that like we recommend that they look at but it's not vital so it was just really surprising with for me was how you can identify the kind of different levels of recommendations so some things that are quick and easy so to speak and some things that are much more thinking about how you can change your strategy and change how you think about these journeys entirely in the future um yeah, I would say so. <laughs> Great. Yes, I think what you mentioned in the beginning that you saw people circling around and you realized that they couldn't find something. Is that how how easy was that to infer or how sure are you that that's the problem, right? If you see people circling, is is, is could you confirm that or was it obvious that um, that, that was the, the problem behind it, let's say? Yeah, so I think in certainly in these instances, sometimes you have to be, you know, you have to combine it with user research to confirm that the stuff that you predict is actually true. But when it's, um, you know, a registration stage and they're clicking on the, the area that says register your company and then they're clicking back on the other bit that's not quite right, but they're coming back there and back again, it becomes very easy. And obviously then all you have to do is either make the the button more prominent or move it further up the page and then you can simply see you know how many more people are clicking on it on their kind of their first visit as opposed to their however many visits afterwards so it's we definitely have to be careful around making assumptions as analysts and often that means confirming it or testing the hypothesis in the real world with the user research testing but sometimes the answers are clear enough that you can be like well we can just change that format and see what happens because it's not going to make things worse and hopefully we can solve the problem yeah yeah that makes makes a lot of sense <laughs> uh, um we have two two more questions let me just um go through those also really quick so uh, mark is asking did you also have e-forms that users had to fill out um And so probably that's the, the qualitative aspect. So when you ask people for um, their experience at the user research part, is that is that something that happens in person or is that something that you collect on the website? So user research testing, obviously this year has been very different because previously it would have been done in like a lab test where they would do it perhaps at the offices. But obviously with COVID and lockdown, we have to do it remotely. Um, so that's all done online so where we give users a series of 
tasks to do and we just look at how they do it and we get their feedback on their experience but I also wonder if perhaps maybe this question was more around like how you look at the performance of uh, the actual service side of things so if we're looking at a registration service where they have to fill out a form to register their business how that performs and obviously this is kind of what we were talking to earlier with the complexity when you're looking at journeys that span multiple departments because obviously we have ownership of the gov.uk data but then understanding how that performs when they actually get into the service which is owned by companies house which is a different government department which is just an entirely different ball game really um and something that's difficult to do but obviously is what something that we're hoping to be able to achieve with this this type of project great yeah so one 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 other thing what you could do, for example, with forms. So if you want to check what kind of form would work best, uh, then A-B testing is maybe also an option to see, for example, how how is form A performing against form B, and then uh, yeah, collecting some samples and then see what the difference is in, in the customer behavior. Uh, but of course, uh, this process mining never stands alone. So somehow you need to add some some more uh, qualitative data as well or feedback uh, from uh, some kind of laboratory, for example, to make sure uh, that you are not missing something else. Yeah, right. And this, in a way, brings us to the to the third and last challenge, right? I mean, um, yeah. So if we just uh, just bring up the slides so to coming to to this last point here. I think we have discussed it a little bit already throughout the session, but I think it's good to still yes, yeah, still a little bit and reflect on on this this last challenge because um, if, again for any process mining analysis this is relevant that you um, actually need to do something based on the insights that you have obtained during the analysis to make an actual improvement and to get a benefit out of the improved process, either in terms of efficiency or customer experience or quality um, in any form. And yeah, so taking action. So how does this look like for for customer journey processes? Is, is there any difference here compared to yeah, the classical internal process improvement project that that you would see? So I think... For- so, sorry, can you tell the question again? So, what the difference is between this type of process and which type? Sure. So, in terms of, uh, well, when we are thinking about what we do with these insights uh, after, after the process mining analysis, in a customer journey process, I mean, we discussed already a little bit that the, the user is part of this process, right? So, we sometimes, you know, we, maybe we have to ask again or um, we cannot ask. We, you know, we cannot also not really control um, what they do, but we can have assumptions and hypotheses. And like you said, sometimes it's really clear if they click back and forth and don't get to the point where they obviously want to go improving for example the design of the of the web page could be something that you try and then you can for example have an a b test or something to um which is i think one of the methods you mentioned in your case study to verify yeah is is this getting better so what what are some of the actions and the changes that that result from from a customer journey analysis in in your experience Yeah, so I think in in the context of the the team that I've been working on, it's taking a lot of the the findings that we've had and developing new kind of formatting and content strategies that fit those user needs. So understanding that journeys aren't linear. um, We can clearly see that 
that people don't tend to sit down and just do things step by step. They would tend to do something and then go away and they'll come back. So there's lots of things we've learned about how users actually engage with this sort of content, engage with these processes. So part of what we're looking at is what like a post-registration journey could look like. So after you've registered your company, like how can we create something that's more fitting of those user needs? So where they have um, a series of action points that they can return to that, you know, where it saves what they've got to do, or perhaps it's, um, what else would it be? Or, you know, looking at, you know, what we've said before around, you know, mandatory and optional things they might need to look at. So it's just around taking the learnings that we've seen on, on real world user behavior and thinking about what more kind of innovative and no novel approaches to content and services could we apply to better suit behavior that we've seen through process mapping, mining rather. Yeah. Yeah, so I think also one of the challenges is um, if you look at customer journey uh, and mining and, and, and if you want to implement changes is um, and you already mentioned sometimes something like a user uh, and something like a customer and those things seem interweaved, but they actually are different. Eh? So if you look at the people who actually manage customers and people who manage users, they often have a kind of a different view of uh, of the process. And so often users are, are are more from an IT perspective where you want to support them in the best way in a certain IT platform. While if you look at it from a customer perspective, it's kind of a broader way to try to influence customers to become a customer, for example, the marketing or sales or, or, or more the regulation kind of aspect of it. So what I see in practice is this customer, of course, is at the central point of view, but a lot of people are looking to that customer from a different perspective. Uh, and this also makes it difficult to determine, okay, but what kind of change uh, can we take and what kind of impact should it have? And from all of these perspectives, what would be the best change and where should it land? Who would take the responsibility in order to implement a change? And one of the examples which which I which I, which I have seen is uh, that people started looking at process mining and then yeah, the first uh, a person is looking, yeah, yeah, we should do this. And then you bring it to another person and has a completely other idea of it. And you really need to align it in order to be able to make these kind of changes and be close to that particular domain where the changes has been need to be deployed. And this is kind of the same challenge as if you look at it from a process improvement point of view. Um, in the define phase or when you start doing process mining, you need to involve these people at the starting point. And when you are doing your first initial customer journey mining, you are not thinking about what kind of changes you would expect eventually. So you don't have the opportunity yet to involve everyone. So sometimes at the end of your first process mining initiative, you start all over again with the people who are actually able to to change things. And this, I, I think, is one of the challenges because, yeah, should it be done by the sales manager or the marketing manager or uh, the IT manager who was responsible for implementing that platform? Yeah, and that's that's where the actual change should should happen, uh, yeah. but often you don't know it at the front of your analysis what yeah. would be the best option. Exactly, it's it's a little bit like uh, what we talked about before this this more organizational challenge also that it's often a little bit less defined perhaps like where the responsibilities are who's actually going to determine yeah what the organization is going to do with those insights right. Yeah. 
Yeah, but also where you can make impact, right? So mm. without without the analysis, you don't know yet. Yeah. And so is it just a small change by making a change to an email, for example, you are sending and then try to influence the behavior of the customer responding on that email? Or is the impact bigger by, for example, selecting uh, some kind of marketing uh, campaign, uh, doing a different type of campaign instead of uh, doing a marketing campaign through a particular partner, do it directly uh, in Google and uh, Google, for example, and then see what the impact is. Yeah. So that's it's kind of a different uh, different change and you can already see that uh, the budget of this changing the emails coming from the marketing director or manager while changing uh, for example uh, uh, doing different marketing campaigns may be coming from the sales uh, sales director's budget um, yeah and involving everybody at the start is kind of difficult from the you know, first process mining initiative yeah. uh, but yeah eventually you you need to have some kind of sponsor that's able to to change things otherwise it's still it's just an analysis and nothing nothing yeah. else yeah. so nothing will change it's 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 really interesting it's on the one on the one hand side it's the classical chicken and egg problem that you always have with most analysis and also with process mining analysis that you first have to look at the data to see what the actual improvement opportunities are right Right, but uh, again, it's kind of additionally it has some additional challenges for this particular customer journey use yeah. case that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, so maybe that's that's one, one other question for Daisy because what I've seen in the past is if you look at it from uh, a customer journey perspective, sometimes it's difficult to really define the business case. For example, huh? you are looking at experience and and experiences uh, hopefully tied to uh, more business, for example, or but it's not often directly giving giving this as a result so um, if you look at it from a business uh, case perspective how uh, did you introduce it so this was something that obviously we were asked to do as a team to look at the ways in which we could improve this process but i think definitely getting buy-in i think for us the hardest thing to get buy-in for is like because it's De like involving lots of different departments and services how we can get buy-in from people that requires their time energy and money to make improvements because obviously some of them we can make and a lot of them are based it elsewhere which we can't do so there's a lot it's difficult to try and uh encourage those sorts of kind of cross-departmental working together and improvements and i think the big part of that is what work we've done looking around how you can get the top level buy-in to, to basically to fund it to say you know we know that people are very willing to do it but if they don't have the time or the resources to then they're not going to work on the insights even if they see that they're valuable so what you have to do is trying to go to that top level first to try and get that top level buy-in to say if we make these improvements you know we think that we predict that you know it will be easier to start a business or that less businesses will make a mistake when setting up their business and they're more likely or they have to spend less time doing kind of business admin and they've got more time to actually run their business, which is all beneficial things in maintaining a successful and setting up a successful business. So getting that top level buy-in that then allows, that facilitates the work across across departments and across government is the really important thing that it's something that actually we're working on at the moment is how we can we can set those sort of processes up to buy it to get that kind of necessary buy-in but you know we had to prove it first with this first piece of work of looking at the very small thing of starting a business and obviously now we're focusing 
on sustaining a business. So the bit yeah. after you've registered, yeah. how that works. Yeah. yeah, great. Yeah, exactly. No, absolutely. I can completely see that. And yeah, these these first analysis that you've made, I, yeah, I think they have a very clear scope and uh, yeah, some some really clear results that you can demonstrate. And that is a really good first step to then yeah, think about, well, how could we do this on a day-to-day -day basis? How does this fit into our way of working? Where could this be used and where does it really benefit us? And yeah. Okay, great. Well, I, I think it's the the perfect place to end uh, we could we could talk forever but um yeah I, i enjoyed the session very much thank you both a lot for for coming on it's such an interesting use case uh, cross mining for customer journeys and um yeah so people are really interested in that so um yeah we're going to share the the recording we're going to share a summary a little bit if you um yourself um have any any more questions or comments uh, that you would like to um, share you can send us an email uh, like we said at cafe at flexicon.com or contact us in any way or can uh, contact daisy uh, to exchange experiences with her and um, yeah so that's the end for for today's uh, pros mining cafe uh, we will be back with another pros mining cafe um, end of february on wednesday 24th february and there we will be talking about process mining and legacy systems so thanks a lot all of you for joining and i hope i see you again the next time thanks bye bye daisy and rudy thanks for joining again bye. Thanks. Bye -bye. Bye -bye. Bye -bye.